And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic Coming up on this week's show Odegaard inspires Arsenal win at St James, but with four games to go, we remain third in the Premier League. Champions Newcastle United's women won the league and are promoted to the FAWNL Northern Premier Division. And a lunch date with Allardyce. We're off to Leeds for Saturday's early kickoff. There's nobody ahead of me in football terms. Not Pep, not Klopp, not Arteta. Hello, yes, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne. It's a pleasure to be back in your ears. And I'm joined, as always, by Chris Woff. How, Chris, how are you doing? I am very good, thank you. Yeah, just got back down from level seven now and back home, so yeah. <laughs> it's a long old way, isn't it? It is. Uh, George Calkins here as well. George, how are you doing? You okay? I'm very good. I feel incredibly boisterously bullish about life and football. So um, there'll be no moaning here, no whinging here. No, no. Nothing but positivity. Um, I feel good about yesterday in spite of the result. So come on, bring it on. Let's do this. Have you calmed down a little bit, Chris? Because before we started recording, you came on absolutely full of piss and vinegar, didn't you? And I've never heard anything like it. I had me morning coffee and it was just, yeah, everything was just, everything was just coming out. Now I'm in a bit of a downer afterwards. So yeah, you're going to have to pick me up again. You've got to save the good come stuff on, channel for the it, podcast. Chris. Yeah, come on. Channel the anger. Come the on. good stuff. Where is it? Have I ever delivered good stuff? Mm, yeah, that's a fair. That's a fair point. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's fair enough. Oh, it's in. Nicked out by the near post. Share was there too. Arsenal have got their second goal in fortuitous circumstances. It was a frustrating day, wasn't it? Uh, early onslaught, as expected. Jacob Murphy hits the post within the first minute. Then penalty shouts. Lots of uh, lots of Geordies, including Alan from work, were unhappy about that VAR decision. But let's be honest, Chris, it was pretty much the right call, wasn't it? Well, I only found out afterwards because I was in the I, 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 being in the press box. You sort of you don't have the same experience as, as fans of VAR. It's still a bit confusing. But I, I found out then why it is so infuriating because. You have the big screen, which I recognise East Stand and the rest of the ground can't necessarily see, but you, you still can't actually see why the decision's been overturned. So yeah. it's just like this bizarre sort of, and that fuels the sort of atmosphere that you get and the sort of referees crap. I mean, the referee was rubbish, but that was for different, different reasons. I mean, Newcastle did start at a ferocious pace. It was a, the, the atmosphere was brilliant and they really played out like that first five minutes. 
Um, the press tie. I mean, actually, if you saw the kickoff, Callum Wilson starts almost in like a sprinter position. He basically has his his hands on the halfway line and like sprints to go towards the ball, goes back to Ramsdale, and he's basically Adam by the time the ball then gets cleared upfield. And, and Newcastle won the ball high a couple of times. Obviously, Jacob Murphy is played in, cuts inside and is left, hits the post, almost like the same start against another North London team as obviously there was against yeah. Spurs when he scored early on. And Newcastle kept coming. And, and for the first 10 minutes, I thought Gabriel looked like a player who was an injury doubt because he just looked terrified in the first 10 minutes. And Newcastle kept making him make mistakes. And the, the penalty call came. And I think in the end, it probably was the right call. Whether VAR should intervene to overturn it, is it clear and obvious? Is it, it takes the amount of replays it does. All of that's up for debate. I think probably the right decision eventually is is, is reached with that. But it just seemed to suck the momentum out of Newcastle. And also what I thought was very impressive from Arsenal, certainly for the rest of the first half, was they're the first team, other than possibly Man City to a certain extent, who I've seen play through Newcastle's press. Yeah, they did it well. There's teams who've gone beyond it. Brentford went above Newcastle's press. Villa did very well in getting beyond that first part of the press. Leeds even to a certain extent. But no team has really played through it. And yet Arsenal, particularly through Jorginho and Erdegaard, wanting to take the ball short played through Newcastle's press, and once they got through it, there was gaps everywhere in that first half, and that's what created a lot of the opportunities Arsenal had. He asked you about the penalty, Chris. I know. That's all from Pot on the Time yeah, this week. You've just uh, given us a Thanks full, very much for joining. That, um, that, that wasn't just a full Jesus. match report. It was like the full match. It's like gone you've from... Ne- you've left nothing for George no, that's to talk 90 about minutes. whatsoever. Uh, right, see you later. See you next week. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Yeah, see you later. Yeah, take care. This has been the Chris uh, Woff podcast from The Athletic. You really have had your coffee, haven't you? George, have you got anything to add? No, before no, we finish? no, no, Chris no, has said everything. I mean, he's absolutely <laughs> just said everything. He's used all the words that there are in a dictionary, so there's nothing left to say. But on the penalty, seeing as you are asking about the penalty... Um, oh, there we go. Oh, I, I didn't see the replay. I didn't go on the concourse at half-time, and uh, walking back after after the game through town, I was chatting to to my dad and my, and my sister's boyfriend about it, who I'd, who I'd met up with after the game. And, and they were like, oh, have you seen the penalty? Did you think it was? I was like, oh, I haven't seen it. You have to see. And the, these two blokes in front of us turned around, and one of them was like, lifted his arm up massively high in the air. And it was just like, <laughs> oh, sword in the concourse. After Honestly, it, it, it's a proper save. It's a proper save. It's definitely a penalty. So I'm thinking, oh, bloody hell, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he got home and said, like, hmm, wasn't quite exactly how he described it. But. No. And I mean, I, so I was in the press box, and I'll just sort of give you, give, give, give listeners a sort of little insight into what that like and we have these long row of seats and there's a tiny little screen and it's not like a permanent screen it's sort of balancing on the little desks we have I wasn't next to it so can only see it from a distance so you know basically during the match I have no idea really what's happened uh, apart from having seen it with my own eyes I mean it's it's a strange thing I think having watched it back this morning on the highlights it pretty much looks like it hits hits his thigh my frustration is the same of is the same as Chris's really. It is still about that sort of lack of information inside the stadium. Yeah. But also, if you do have to look at it all those times, yeah, finally, finally you get to the right decision, probably. But if you're looking at it that many times and you're still not sure, absolutely, you know, then that isn't a clear and obvious error. And I think that was what Alan's sort of unhappiness was about it that it's taken so long and at the end of that you're still not sure anyway I don't sort of focus on that except to say that I think if you're if if that's in real time if that game if that decision is not given in real time you just get on with it you just get on with the game people make appeals you carry on maybe there's a sense of injustice in the stadium but you just kind of carry on 
the thing that Eddie Howe talked about afterwards was that Newcastle were affected emotionally about that decision. Yes. Because you have that break, you wait, you wait, you wait, and it does suck the life out of the stadium. And I do think that was a big turning point. So, you know, again, to to, to repeat, I don't think that was a travesty of justice for, for us, for Newcastle. I don't think that's the point. But it did have a big effect on what happened after that. And that, that for me, is the frustration. I hate VAR. I hate the delay. I hate all that. Yeah, it kind of sucks the life out of the game, doesn't it? A little bit while you wait for this decision to happen, and then everyone has to restart again. And obviously, Arsenal restarted the game with a bit more, uh, a bit more enthusiasm. And Odegaard, a few minutes later, goes up the other end and scores. And the defending wasn't great, but Nick Pope was probably a bit unlucky. It's a half decent strike, Chris, isn't it? But Newcastle should probably do better. Yeah, I mean, it was the closing down more than Pope. I mean, Pope sees it and it is in the bottom corner. I thought Erdegaard in the first half in particular was excellent. He was, he was the difference. Superb. Yeah. The, Superb he was. Yeah, he was. The, the, the ball he played through to Martinelli later in the half was just out of this world as well. It was a really, really clever little uh, outside of the left foot round the corner pass. And he was, he was finding those pockets of space and Newcastle couldn't really deal with him. And, and he was allowed to do that here because Arsenal played through the press and Jorginho found him. And I actually thought Newcastle, Byrne Botman handled Saka fairly well for most of the game, but because they were handling him, that created space elsewhere, and that that yeah. first half was was where those chances sort of sort of came from. And Pope made a couple of really good stops. The one where he almost like just chests it away or shoulders it away was it was a was an unusual attempt to make a save, but very 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 effective. Then he also used his feet well, but really after the penalty was overturned for the rest of that half. A couple of chances for Newcastle aside, not against the run of play, but not exactly dominant. I thought that Arsenal looked very good and knew exactly how to manage the game. They they, they frustrated Newcastle, they stopped Newcastle getting the rhythm that they wanted, and they played the game on the terms they wanted, and I didn't think Newcastle really got a grip of them again for a long while. Yeah, George, the rest of that half was, was still played at a breakneck pace, wasn't it? Chances for both sides, Joe Willock coming close, but... Newcastle just couldn't make the breakthrough. No, but I mean, one of the reasons that I'm feeling so positive and, and bullish today is, you know, I think I think this is important. I mean, it's a disappointing result, and I think Arsenal were better than Newcastle. But at the same time, you go back, you go back twelve months, and that performance, that that two nil victory for Newcastle that day, which pretty much put the kibosh on Arsenal's chances of getting in the top four. That was really the first glimpse of the Newcastle that we want Newcastle to be, we want the crowd to sound like, that we want the team to play like. And I think what imp- impressed me so much about yesterday was that you look at that game and Newcastle now are that club. You know, they are that team. The atmosphere was insane. Yeah, They played well. They didn't play as well as Arsenal, I think that's fair to say, but they had more possession, they had more shots, they had more shots on target, they had more corners, they had a higher XG than Arsenal in that match. There was a lot that they got right. And again, within the context of going for the top four this season, we'll have to see how all that plays out. But I refuse to be disheartened by what we saw yesterday because there was so much about it that was good. This was two really good teams playing each other as pretty much equals and the better team probably coming out on top. But there was no disgrace on that. And one thing that I wanted to... Ask Eddie Howe afterwards. So on Friday in his press conference, he talked about being around the top four and saying nothing is done yet and that Newcastle are playing against elite teams. But I asked Howe about Newcastle being an elite team, a Newcastle an elite team now, and this is what he said. 
I think we are. I think you can see from, from every team that we've played against, home and away, I think have been in a real game. The only the Aston Villa game that springs to mind where we probably fell below that high expectation we have. I do feel we're an elite team. I feel that we still have growth though. I, I still feel we've got lots to improve. Highlighted today by lots of little things that we could have done better, but I would say the effort and commitment to the cause, to what we're trying to do is the most important thing. I could see it, it was running through the team, but we just fell short in certain areas. Yeah, so, I mean, again, Newcastle are an elite team now, in the words of their own manager. I just, I don't know, I think there's something really sort of powerful about that. Yeah. And, yeah, we have to see what, you know, what plays out in the next two or three weeks. But, um, you know, I, I just thought I just thought there was so much about yesterday to be, to be encouraged about. And particularly watching it again, watching the highlights again this morning... Um, you see how many chances Newcastle actually have. Absolutely. Uh, Chris, like I said before, Willock's chance, probably the best of the game. Maybe the share header as well, which was well saved by Ramsdale. The share header was the best of the game. So the, the share header, he should, it's a very good save, but if he puts it either side, either side he scores. Yeah, goal, he should, he should score. He should score. But the stats do suggest it was, a, it was a fairly even game, wasn't it? It wasn't so much down to luck, but it was Arsenal took chances well they missed a lot of chances as well didn't they they probably took the the ones that you wouldn't expect them to take uh, and Newcastle failed to take their chances you know what the game reminded me of it reminded me of in the season Newcastle finished fifth under Alan Pardew 2011-12 when Man City came the second last game of the season and won 2-0 and for large parts of the game Newcastle played very well and then Yaya Toure took control second half I think he scored both goals and it was just the difference in those key moments when you come up against this quote-unquote elite team as I think there's a difference between being an elite team who who is recognises that position, has been there before, know, is comfortable in it. And I'm not saying Newcastle are uncomfortable in their position in the table, but just the key moments, having that quality in every single area. Newcastle probably don't quite yet have the squad. They're probably a couple of years behind Arsenal, or maybe he's 12, 18 months behind Arsenal. And in those key moments, Arsenal made it count. They scored a goal at a crucial time. Really their first chance of the game. It wasn't even a chance, but they scored that crucial moment. That They managed the first half well. Arguably, actually, should have been further ahead, so you could say that they're still lacking that department. But then, Newcastle, when they presented with those chances, that they didn't take them. They hit the post through Murphy early on. If they score early on, I think Newcastle go on and win, maybe even quite comfortably, because I think Arsenal could fold. And then start of the second half, Isak hits the post. Bit unlucky because it came at him sort of quite quickly, but still, you, you score then. Second half, going down the hill towards a Gallagher, very different game. And that's where I think just a li- just a little bit of, of it'll take time for Newcastle to get used to these situations. But the fact that they did go to toe to toe with Arsenal probably weren't quite the best Newcastle, and yet you can't say. They were second best throughout. They were just pipped in the key moments. That was the difference. Yeah, in the second half, George, it pretty much followed a similar pattern, didn't it, to the first half? Newcastle get ahead of steam up and then Arsenal kind of score. Not not as much against the runner player, but kind of, well, yeah, against the runner player, I suppose. That's not a better way of saying that, is there? Um, Martinelli just sort of forces that own goal from Fabian Scher, doesn't he? And, and if Scher doesn't put his foot out, turn into his own net, it rolls across the box and Odegaard's got a tap in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was just so difficult. That kind of thing is is so difficult. You ex- put a foot out because it's instinctive and uh, yeah, no, I mean, tough, tough, tough for him. I mean, I do think, I do think that sort of Arsenal had the outstanding players in the match. I think Martinelli was excellent. Odegaard, we've said, I just thought he's one of those players. He always looks like he's in space when he gets the ball because he, he kind of creates it and he looks to have so much time on the ball. He's, he's just a, He's a beautiful, beautiful player. I thought Jorginho was fantastic as well. In fact, when you go through the team like that, I think Arsenal had the outstanding players. 
But Newcastle, again, are a really, really good team. And the timing of the goals, I think, did suck the, suck the life out a bit. And it's very difficult to then recover from it. But Newcastle weren't far off. And I think, again, I think that's the, that's the thing that I would hold on to. And the fact that Arsenal have been outstanding this season. They've been top for most of the season. Um, you know, and now they're running Man City very close. There's no disgrace in what happened, in what happened yesterday. None at all. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Uh, Chris, so we were, we've mentioned already Fabian Scher with that own goal. It was a tough day for him, wasn't it? And Bruno Gimaraes as well didn't have his best day in a black and white shirt. And he was visibly frustrated and upset with himself on the coverage as I was watching the game. You could see the frustration in his face. And as the game went on further and further, I was worried about him in that emotional state that he gets in. You know, maybe he makes a rash tackle or maybe he makes a mistake. He just didn't seem himself. No, as far as Cher was concerned, I think from the moment that the the penalty was overturned, he was an accident waiting to happen to a certain degree. He was overly emotional. Trippier came over to him one point to speak to him. Byrne came over to him. Tyndall called him over the touchline and spoke to him. And there were, there were a few sort of moments where I thought Arsenal made too much of it, but he did go into some challenges at well, not quite with his elbow. Jesus ruled around a lot, but it was one of those challenges where you just think you've given the referee a decision to make here, and he could though. go yeah. against if you wanted. And I just thought he sort of lost his composure a little bit and got under. They got it under his skin. As far as Bruno Gimaraes, I think it was possibly the second half was possibly his his, his poorest in a Newcastle shirt. I think that. He was almost trying to do too much. Yeah. It was taking an extra touch. Just wasn't quite working for him. And 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 it, I still think there's a couple of matches, maybe when they've played Liverpool and, and and Man City previously as well, where you see that the Bruno needs a bit of help in midfield in terms of that elite sort of of level that we are talking about. It seemed he was the only one who was trying to to necessarily do anything. I thought that he misses Sean Longstaff. He really misses him. I think he he, he does. I mean. I, I want to come on to Longstaff in a second because I do think Newcastle missed Longstaff, but I also think it's now becoming an excuse of off oh, Sean Longstaff isn't there and Newcastle are going to struggle. They're going to have to find a way to play with oh, it without course, these yeah. players as well. And I, I do think that we can't just say, oh, well, Sean Longstaff's there, everything goes. It was, it was, Newcastle had enough quality on the pitch to have been able to control it more. What I do, what I'm not entirely comfortable with still is Joe Linton when he moves to a number six, he did second off. I don't think he's good enough on the ball to be in that sort of deep line position. Um, and that's where the issue that we've said from January, Newcastle are lacking depth in midfield and, and they still do. And that's why Sean Longstaff, other than the fact he's been so good and is very effective in the way Newcastle play, that's why they're missing him so much because Joe Linton's playing well recently as a left-sided forward. 
you pin him now as a right-sided number eight in this game and it just feels like eventually, as much as he can play in so many different positions, eventually I think he's going to get stretched too much and that's what it felt like yesterday. Just too many players, maybe not in quite the position. It was interesting that Howe said after the game, he said, I thought we lacked balance in the side and I've, I've exchanged a few messages with a few people inside the club who said exactly the same thing and I think that maybe he might have regretted his, his starting lineup a few minutes in the game because I think he saw that it wasn't quite what Newcastle have been so far this season. Number six is a centre-half, Chris. <laughs> I mean, it isn't, but okay. Let's let's not do this now. There's, there's, there's all other times for football semantics, but... Um, yeah, Arteta came with the game plan, George, didn't he? He really did. And it was kind of frustrating and there was a bit of slowing the game down and a little bit of time wasting it. It's quite ironic after the way we behaved at uh, at the Emirates that we are a little bit perturbed about the fact that Arsenal did that. But it did start early, didn't it? Oh and, my goodness. Know, yeah, I mean, It's so designed to frustrate yeah, the team. Yeah, and I've I've written about this after the match. I mean, basically the, you know, the headline to the piece is shithouses, shithoused. Um, Arteta's compliment and um, yeah I mean I thought it was look we can't complain about this kind of stuff being done to to Newcastle because Newcastle have been really good at doing the same thing but I mean you know let's put it in its proper perspective using that term sort of shithousing and all, all the rest of it I think there's been a negative slant when people outside of the club or Newcastle have kind of talked about it as if it's somehow anti-football and it definitely isn't and Newcastle aren't an anti-football team it's just game management. It's using using your nails. It's knowing when to slow things down a bit and all the rest of it. And Arsenal did the same. So you know Newcastle can't can't criticise uh, Arsenal for those tactics. What you can do is criticise the referee for not spotting it early enough and not putting his foot down. And I don't think he did because right from the start, Aaron Ramsdale was delaying every goal kick. Right from the start, Granite Xhaka is going down with no obvious no obvious reason. No subs warming up and all the rest of it. And it's kind of funny. I mean, it was, it's kind of funny to see a huge team like Arsenal fighting for the title come. I mean, yes, they were good. Yes, they, they, they had moments when they played really well and they had some really good players, but using every trick in the book to get a win at St. James's Park. And I think that's fantastic. I think that, I think it's fantastic that Newcastle are now in that position where big teams are coming to, are coming here and having to play that way to make sure of a win. I thought Arsenal did it really, really well. It was infuriating, of course, uh, when when you're on the receiving end of it. That's the that's you know that's the whole point. Um, but I thought it was I thought it was fabulous. And Jacob, who is away this week on a top secret assignment, by the way, but will be back um, next week. Spoke to spoke to Dan Byrne a bit about that and uh, and and asked about it. We get a lot of stick for, for, for slowing the game down, which I don't know if we intentionally do it all the time. Um, but they did that today, but I said that's part and parcel of football. We can't do it and then complain about it when it happens to us. So, uh, yeah, they, they were always, I think a lot of teams tend to do that now. I think they sort of feel the energy of the crowd and they've got to try and sort of stifle it a little bit and if they tend to do that. So, so it's a compliment to Newcastle of the Newcastle crowd to an extent that they're doing that, they feel the need to go to. Yeah, of course. Like when a team like Arsenal's coming here and, and doing that, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is a it is a compliment. The, the the thing with the way Arsenal plays again, I have absolutely no issue with it. And and you 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 push the referee to as far as you can, but 
I, and I was I was trying to sit there trying to be as sort of objective as possible when Newcastle fans around me are getting absolutely irate at the referee. This is thinking, no place for objectivity, Chris. Come <laughs> yeah, on, no, what exactly? You know no, but I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Mm, yeah, I sort of get that. The point where it was sort of like it became almost laughable, where I just thought he has. He, I mean, he didn't book Ramsdale, which was, if it had been Nick Pope, I think he would. Well, Nick Pope's been booked for similar situations yeah, so yeah, far yeah, this season. But it was actually when Jesus was getting substituted. I can't remember who else was getting substituted as well, but Jesus. What, sauntered off the pitch. He stood in the centre circle of the referee. Newcastle players are coming up to him and telling him, can you hurry up? He didn't even do when the referees do the half hour sort of thing of like blow the whistle as him to hurry up. He just sort of stood there with his hands on his hips and you're thinking, come on. I mean, the game was gone by then. It was 2-0 and Newcastle yeah. weren't going to win. But it was like, at that point, just just at least give him the hurry up. And yeah. he couldn't even, he, he didn't even do that. And he just sort that's where it was sort of like, I, then I did tip over and go, yeah, this has just become ridiculous. Arsenal have wanted to play this way and you have allowed them yeah. to play this way even more than they wanted to. Gabriel Jesus said to to like five of his teammates on the way off the pitch yeah, as well. Yeah. Like, nice yeah, one, lads. Yeah. See you in a bit. Take care. Oh, hello. Say hello to the family for us. Yeah. Oh, nice one. How's the dog? Yeah, wait. All right, lads. All right. Yeah, okay, see, 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 see you next season, lads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just going to take 35 <laughs> days to get off the pitch. Um, it, I mean, yeah, it was kind of quite funny, really. But again, I took that as a... I took that. I mean, like Bernie, sort of take that as a massive compliment. Yeah. But yeah, I just hope it's. I hope it's sort of portrayed in the same, either the same way as Newcastle were, or there's a little bit sort of more understanding for what Newcastle, for what Newcastle did. It's you know pose problems for the opposition. That's what you should do. But I, I just, I just find it sort of brilliant that Newcastle are now that team. That teams are doing that to them. Because because it's such a difficult place to come, and you have to, you know, have to sort of say it say it again. Arsenal are only the second team to win at St James's this season, so there we go. Funny, really. Um, Mikel Arteta as well used that famous clip of his post-match debrief to motivate the Gunners on uh, Sunday morning, didn't he? The Amazon uh, All or Nothing documentary clip. It clearly meant an awful lot to them, and there was a there was a bit of retribution dealt out, wasn't there? Basically, yeah, and um, you know, again, go back. to 12 months he was describing them as fucking embarrassing and fucking unacceptable on the on that Amazon documentary and um yeah they did they rightly used that as as motivation and they dealt with it very well they you know they didn't crumble they they rose to it there's one thing again that I'd I'd like to sort of mention which was listening to Jorginho in his interview after the match talking about sort of quite emotionally actually about the atmosphere at St James's this atmosphere is it's so beautiful it just motivates us to play, gives us so much fire inside. It's the atmosphere in there, every one of us. We dreamed when we were a kid and uh, now it's time to enjoy this just beautiful, this football. That's testament to, to the atmosphere everyone kind of created. They rose to it. I mean, what you want to happen is for like the opposition to wither in the face of that sort of noise and... Uh, uh, and all the rest of it, and they didn't. You know, they handled it really well. So fair play to them. But yeah, my God, it was ferocious, though. It was ferocious, and um, yeah, it was pretty. I mean, yeah, it was. He was he was talking about St James's in those terms of like saying this is the kind of place you want to come and play football, and um, but not in the sense, not in the bad old days where people would come and say, oh yeah, great stadium, yeah, Geordie's, yeah, fantastic, brilliant, and they've gone with three points and it's dead easy. You know, you have to if you're going to get three points. You do have to you do have to throw everything at it these days. Just on Jorginho, and this is partly maybe because I haven't watched much of Arsenal the last few weeks, but when the team sheet was named and Jorginho was playing instead of party, 
initially I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Why, why is, why has Arteta done that and not have the sort of physical presence in midfield? Newcastle are a physical, uh, athletic side. And what it, it was to play through the press. And what I find, found impressive about Jorginho and what I will say in defense of Bruno Gimaraes, even though he struggled yesterday is, both of them want the ball and they will take the ball. No matter whether they make a mistake and no matter how difficult the situation, they will take the ball and they will take responsibility. And that's that was what made the difference yesterday because Jorginho was on form and Bruno Gimaraes wasn't. But that's why Bruno has been so effective for Newcastle so often because he will, no matter what the situation, he will take the ball, he will win free kicks, he'll get Newcastle out of trouble. And that that, that is the next step to, to make sure that they're going to do this in these key games now. Absolutely. Uh, and anyway, George, we're getting towards the point, the end of the season now, aren't we? It's starting to get a little bit tense. Uh, Liverpool is surging, uh, but David Moyes' mighty hammers put a bit of a dent in Man United. Uh, what was David De Gea doing? Was he busy filling a crossword in when that shot came in? It was interesting. Yeah, he's had some, um, he's had some really dodgy moments in the last few, few weeks and months. And yeah, that's, that's certainly, you know, again, that sort of provides a little bit of perspective. I think Liverpool are the team that most people are now looking at with a slight air of trepidation just because they're in such a kind of fantastic run of form. But, you know, we shouldn't forget that Newcastle have been in a fantastic run of form as well, winning, winning what is it now? It's 8-10 and 10 now. But um, it's absolutely 100% still in Newcastle's hands. And, you know, again, I don't think, apart from the result, I don't think you should come away from um, from yesterday feeling anything other than positive. Um, and I certainly don't. Yeah, the big game's left. Um, but New- the th- thing is, Newcastle have risen to every challenge so far this season. They absolutely ha- have, and when they've had a setback, they've bounced back from it. So, uh, yeah, and, New- and Newcastle, you say it's the pointy end of the season, and it is. And Newcastle are involved in it. It's amazing at the isn't it? top of the table. So good. They're involved at the top of the table. It's just brilliant. It's brilliant. I love it. J- just two points on that. First of all. This was really this was the first time Newcastle have actually been beaten at home this season. They lost to Liverpool, albeit they were down, but they were down ten men early on. And really, on the context of most of that match, Newcastle could and probably should have drawn or won the game regardless. They were down to ten men. They went down to ten men when they were two 0 down. Yeah, but but if you go back to the actual chances they had both before and after the, the Liverpool goals, they had enough chances in terms of a team coming to St James's and actually beating them. This is the first time this season a team has really come and actually beaten them, and by that I mean probably deserved to leave with all three points. And then the other thing, the Liverpool surging. I just have slight issue. I realise that their form is ridiculous in terms of number of wins, but then it's not as if Liverpool are going in every game and look dominant. All Newcastle fans are, are, to a certain degree, rightly getting irate because it seems so many decisions are going for Liverpool. They sneaked a 1-0 win the other day when decisions sort of went from. They have momentum in that sense at the winning games, but I don't think if you speak to any Liverpool fan, really, they'll be saying, yeah, we're, we're guaranteed to win these last three games, which on paper look re- relatively easy because they're, they're not still in the... In the they're st- I still think Newcastle look like a better team at the moment. And that's why I've still got confidence in Newcastle will do it. I, I think the thing with Liverpool is as well this season. I've, I've I've watched them a few times. You just can't trust them. Yeah, you just cannot trust them to to to, to do what they're meant to do. So you just never know, do you? Man United are in worse form than oh, Newcastle as well, yeah. really, in terms of the way that they're playing. I understand, and that's the spectre of Liverpool. They've done it before, where suddenly they come towards an end of the season and they get. And I understand. I understand all of that. I just think. If you actually look at the way that the teams are playing and you look at the context of who Newcastle have just lost to yesterday, they've lost at home to the team who are probably just going to be narrowly nipped, uh, pipped, sorry, to the title. They, they, they played quite well through, through large parts of that game. 
They, as, as you said, George, they've won eight of the last ten. I still think, I, and I understand that it's the irrational sort. It's the way course, that we all think is football. Yeah, yeah, well, but I actually think if you look, I, I don't think Liverpool, I don't think it's this irresistible force where suddenly they're, they're surging. If it is, then it's Man United who should be more worried than Newcastle, in my view. No, exa- exactly. That's the other thing to say. It's not just about the points difference at the top. It's the fact that Newcastle have a team below them, um, you know, in the top four as well. So whoever is going to overtake them have to overtake the other team first, which is Man, Man United. And I totally agree. I think Liverpool is sort of doing um, what many people thought they would do at, at one point in the season. It's like, okay, they're... They've 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 had a horrendous season. It feels like it's a team sort of in transition again. But they've got really really good players who were very very good who last season yeah, were, were challenging for pretty much everything. And so they'll come good. So this might be part of that. But you know, absolutely, they've also been really flaky. And Newcastle have been consistent. They've been consistent throughout the season. Yes, they've had little spells where they've been better or worse. But they're consistently. Uh, a third, fourth place team this season, and so again, there's nothing to fear. I do, I, I have to. This is very pedantic on my behalf, and I, I need Chris to explain this again. Why Liverpool wasn't really a defeat for Newcastle? Why a two-nil defeat <laughs> where Liverpool scored goals in the tenth, seventeenth minute, and then Nick Pope is sent off? Why that doesn't count as a as a defeat for Newcastle? I didn't say it didn't count as a defeat. What I mean is that in terms of the context of a team coming to St. James's and actually deserving to leave with three points, I don't think Liverpool deserved to leave with three points on that day, even when Newcastle were down to 10 men. Ansan Maximan created, created so many opportunities. Newcastle had chances before, I think it was the first or second minute of the game, Newcastle had chances either side of that. Liverpool came, scored two goals, Newcastle scored none, so therefore they, they won the match and took the three points home. But Arsenal actually came, and you could say, if you look at the objectively at the match, I'd say you, you could probably argue Arsenal just about shaded it. You go back to the Liverpool game, and I don't think they it was the same con I don't think that was the, that was true. Well, all I can say is that I can't remember anything about that match, even though I was there and wrote about it. I do remember <laughs> Nick Pope sending off because of course it was just before the, the cup final. So in that sense, I'm going to uh, I'm going to allow you your moment. But Well I remember texting you at half time saying texting you Jacob at half time saying that in this first half Newcastle have managed to play better yet find themselves 2-0 down and also negatively affect their chances in the cup final the following week because they'd had Nick Pope sent off. Well, that was, uh, that, so yeah, well, uh, again, I, I will bow to your superior memory and that's fine because <laughs> I can't remember a single thing. However, I will balance that by saying you are fucking weird. <laughs> we knew that already, though. We already knew that. This isn't new information. Well, I have to say, though, I have to say, personally, I have to say, I'm so proud of this team this season, the way they've played. I don't care what happens now. I don't care where we end up. I, I, I Obviously, I do care. I want us to get into the Champions League. That would be amazing. But I'm so proud of this team and I'm so proud of this club and what they've done and what they've achieved this season. I, I, I'll be honest. I think it's been a little bit kind of taken for granted by some, by some circles that Newcastle are just up there and it hasn't been given as much uh, credence or as much... You know, enthusiasm is what it should have been. This is this is such an achievement for this club to come from where they were to where they are now. It's it's absolutely incredible. Totally is, totally is. I mean, yeah. And I was having that um, kind of conversation with people afterwards on 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 Twitter about, I, I suppose, about my sort of feelings of positivity compared to, you know, other people's feelings of like being worried. And I I just can't feel worried. I can't feel worried about anything to do with the team at the moment. I mean, yes. 
you know, certainly share that feeling of, uh, you know, nervous nervousness and anticipation and and all the rest of it. Because with Newcastle being in this position for most of the season, of course you want them to stay there. But this is this is what we've wanted for so long to be to be competitive, to be good, to be challenging in these positions. And I keep saying it: whatever happens from this point, it's been an absolutely incredible season. But I also don't see any reason why it won't end up the way we want want it to. I just don't see any reason. But if it doesn't, I'm not going to be crying. I'm not going to be upset. I'm certainly not going to be angry because they've been they've been fabulous. And you know, I keep having that. I was having that conversation with people in the in the, in the press room. You know, people you don't see for quite a long time because they write about Arsenal or whatever. And it's like, how are you doing? And it's like, well, I'm knackered. I kind of want the season to end. I'm ready for the season to end. But at the same time, I don't because. I look forward to these matches so much and I want that to carry I want this season in other ways to carry on forever because it's just been it's been fantastic it has And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, and that was an extra long, gigantic part one of the podcast and completely forgot to throw this into the mix as well. Get yourself over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod to pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay £1.99 a month for your first year. Come on, you, Maggie. They are in. Understandably, no rush, although, just as I say that, they actually speed up a little bit into the penalty area. This could be a chance. Clark again does superbly. It's bouncing around. It's got to be. It's stopped the first time. Well, it is not the first time we've seen a celebration like that in the last 12 months, is it? Unbelievable. The pylon is huge. Katie Parker, the substitute, makes it too. And now, with only a couple of minutes left on the clock, that is surely it. And Newcastle are surely going up. The Newcastle United women's team, George, are champions. Yeah, absolutely brilliant, 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 brilliant. Um, was sort of nervously um, checking Twitter for updates at uh, St James's before kickoff yesterday, and they did it. They've done it. Uh, they won two two nil at Barnsley. They had to win because uh, Durham won again yesterday, but they've gone up and they've. I was going to say they've gone up as champions. That, that was the only way they could go up. Of course, that's why it's been so tight and uh, so tough. Absolutely, but they've done it. Yeah, absolutely. It was the target at the start of the season, and they've got there. So, huge, huge congratulations to uh, to Becky and the players for doing it. Uh, it's been um, it's been a brilliant. It's been a brilliant season for them, and uh, yeah, job done. Absolutely. It was a clean sheet as well. Goals late in either half meant it was tense afternoon for the lasses, but still amazing scenes as Katie Parker windmilled her shirt around her head and the, the Geordie fans all swarmed onto the pitch after making it 2-0 in the dying stages, Chris. Such an achievement for the lasses, isn't it? It's, it's, it's wonderful stuff. It is a great achievement, and it was really nice that it was announced several times at St. James's Park as well, because it's a shame in some ways that they were both on... 
the same day because yeah. it obviously meant fans couldn't necessarily be at both who might want to be at both but it was mentioned before the game when it was just confirmed and then again at, at half time uh, by Justin Lockwood uh, and he mentioned the, the goal scorers as well and a real achievement both sides obviously riding high in both the men's and women's and in their respective leagues and it, it's huge because they obviously just missed out last season and the next step is is to 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 keep progressing, get into the league, and keep going up. And when there's only one slot that actually gets you promoted, that means that it, it's very very difficult. I mean, the, for the fact that Durham Sestri have pushed them so close as well is very very impressive yeah. on their part. And I think that they certainly deserve uh, a, a, an honourable mention. And hopefully they do well next season and, and come up themselves because to, to be pipped by Newcastle merely by that slender margin you do you do feel for them as as, as, as pleased as obviously we are for, for Newcastle United they won 8-0 yesterday Chris their goal difference was only 4 behind Newcastle at the end it's an unbelievable result yeah. and, they, and, and they obviously don't have the resources that course, behind yeah. them that Newcastle in theory do now I know this is the first year of Newcastle United uh, women's being part of Newcastle United as a club and therefore it shouldn't be underestimated how much of a change that is for them and that it isn't going to be instantaneous and suddenly but they have had resources behind them which Durham Sestria can't necessarily compete with in that sense and so for them to have been pushed that close yeah that, that yeah. I, I really feel for them as well it's the same position Newcastle themselves basically in last year so I really feel for Durham as well and George that challenge must make it feel even more special for Becky Langley uh it's it's like Chris has said, you've got to remember, this is the first year that they've officially been part of Newcastle United. And this is just the start for them, isn't it? Yeah, and it's her first year as uh, as full-time manager as well. Um, yeah, it is. It is. They've, there are huge ambitions for the, for the, for the women's team. Um, you know, uh, when the takeover first happened, Amanda Staveley was sort of talking about the men and the women having a race to get into the Champions League. I think the men are going to win that. Um, uh, certainly, <laughs> certainly hope so. Yeah. There's a long way to go for the women to do that because uh, you know they're they're moving up into the third tier, so that gives an indication of what there is to do. But you know, it's job done. You know, they've done the first part of it. Sometimes the first step is the is the most difficult one, and it's just really special. And yeah, I, I, Chris is right. I mean, the fact that it was sort of mentioned at halftime and got such a great reception, it is absolutely part. It's part of the fabric of the of the club now, as it should be, and. I'll say the same thing that I, I always say when we talk about the about the women's team. I've got season tickets. I went to see them at the start of the season and immediately sort of wanted to do that. I haven't been to all the games because they've often clashed with the with the men's team and obviously have to work. But yeah. when I've gone, either at St James's for the big match or to Kingston Park, it's a brilliant atmosphere. It's part of the family. It's part of Newcastle. And yeah, long may it long may it continue. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a brilliant, brilliant achievement. Dead, dead shot for them. Yeah, Chris, next year is going to be a huge challenge, isn't it? And as Amanda Staveley and the club owners have suggested, the target is to try and go straight up again. Uh, just to put that into context, Liverpool Feds finished ninth uh, out of twelve in the Premier Division, having pipped us to the title last year. So it's a huge task, isn't it? It is, and it's. I'm sure there's going to be a turnover of players again. Some there'll be faith rewarded for, for some players similar to what's happened with the men's team with Eddie Howe those players who've stepped up and can go on but equally they'll need to to sprinkle in some some additional quality to to, to play at that level uh, going forward so it, it, the fact that 
it is such a narrow ability to go up that the, the limited number of positions to go up it's going to be to, 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 do, to do it in one season would be extremely impressive and, and it might take a little bit of stabilisation in that league learning the opposition learning the, the sides but uh, they are going into it with, with the goal of trying to go up again and, and hopefully that can, that can surprise everyone and, and, and really challenge for that Absolutely so congratulations to the lasses the first trophy of the new era of Newcastle United uh, we did ask them if they would come on the show today uh, but they politely declined uh, and said that they had a heavy night plan <laughs> which let's be honest George that's fair enough isn't it's it? It's totally fair enough yes it's totally fair <laughs> enough I was sort of asking uh, been, been asking the question all through the week um, we'd love love to have got someone on the podcast today and, and had a chat but Heavy night. I think I think they deserved their heavy night. And uh, yeah, I will ask the question again in the week and hopefully we'll get someone on next week when the hangover may finally have subsided. Because yeah, it's it's something that we love t- talking about. As I say, it's something I've uh, really enjoyed, uh, you know, really enjoyed going to games. And uh, so yeah, we'll try and we'll try and get someone on next week. Absolutely. There was a few photos flying around on Twitter of the uh, the after party last night, and let's just say it looked like they had a great time, uh, a well-deserved night. Uh, right then, let's have a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment to talk about that game against Leeds. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right then, Eddie Howe's men head to Elland Road this Saturday. It's a lunchtime kickoff on BT Sport. Chris, you never back the early kickoff, do you? No, uh, as a piece on the Athletic earlier this season showed, Newcastle's record at uh, lunchtime is pretty horrendous in recent years. They lost to Villa last time they played at that sort of early time. They lost to Man City uh, in recent months. So it's not the ideal kickoff start. So whether Eddie Howe is looking at that and whether he thinks that there's something they need to do different preparation-wise, whether it's just a quirk of the fixture schedule that just so happens that has been the case. Obviously, at Villa was arguably their worst performance of the season and so something wasn't quite right then yes so it'll be interesting to see if they if they do tinker a little bit i mean leeds is newcastle's shortest away trip so in that sense i'm not entirely sure how they're they're, whether they're going to get the coach down on the night before or what exactly they're going to do because it's obviously not too far down to leeds relative to to every other away trip for newcastle but this is this has now become a very tasty fixture i think given that sam aldice has arrived there and obviously 
very modest in his opening press conference as we know as always. always is. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I, was, I love all yeah, that. I, yeah. I, I love that. I love that. It's pure pantomime. It's pure pantomime, yeah, and it's it? you know that's part of why we love football. That we do love football because of the pantomime stuff of it. And he knows he knows exactly what he was doing. But I mean, you know, there is also I, I'm not going to like agree with him, but there is like a germ of something in what he said, which is you know to, you don't have to be. Guardiola. I mean, not everybody can be Guardiola. Not everybody can be Klopp. Not everybody can be as good as them, you know, managing the teams that they've managed. But he is someone who is incredibly experienced. There isn't anything that's happened in football that he would, um, that, uh, that, you know, that he wouldn't have seen before. And so I, I kind of know what he's getting at. And he has to sort of build himself up in order to build leads up. Yeah. You know, he did exactly the same when he was at Sunderland, manager coming in as the firefighter and all the rest of it. Hilarious. Let's all, yeah, come on. Saturday lunchtime. What's a better, no better time for a pint of wine, is there? Come on. Absolutely. And a jug of gravy. It should be an interesting day. It's my birthday on Saturday. So I'm, I'm going to go and watch the match. And then who knows what the hell will happen after that. I think my birthday re- relies basically on whether the match was a good result or not. So, you should, we, know. should we watch it all? Watch it together. Record it. Record it live. That would be amazing. I'd love to do something like that. Talking about approaches to that Leeds game, Chris, is Eddie Howe's approach going to change? Because he started Alexander Isak and Callum Wilson. Was it a bit of a failed experiment? I wouldn't go as far as to say it was a failed experiment. I was a little bit surprised that he he opted for that game, although there is a thing where I've noticed with Howe now where you can tell beforehand something he's going to do from his press conference. And after weeks of basically suggesting he wasn't going to do it, he was asked at his pre-match press conference on the Friday about playing the two of them together, and he basically said, "I never said I wasn't going to play the two of them together." And said, "All oh, right, okay, well, so that's you quite are a change of, yeah, that's, that's quite a change of tone to what you've what yeah. you've sort of said previously." Um, and I, he was partly not forced, but it, it, his his hand was sort of uh, he he couldn't play Sean Longstaff and therefore he had to do something else. And we know about the lack of sort of midfielders he had, so therefore he moved Joel Linton deeper. Isak has played well out on the left in when he's played there in parts in the in the last few games him and Wilson have been irresistible and so there was an argument for playing them both together i just thought arsenal at home when they haven't played together all season it was a strange time to to do it for the first time and <clears throat> i thought that wilson didn't get enough service and that's not really having a good isa because i think actually when isak got the ball he was the one who looked like he was going to make something happen. There was moments in the first half where his silky sort of feet again, he bamboozled Arsenal's fullback. Second half, again, when he got the ball, he created opportunities. But maybe you see why then Newcastle needed more of a conventional winger, so to speak, in that match. Maybe that's what Howe was getting at when he spoke about balance and the, and the lack of balance. And when you take out Sean Longstaff and you've got Willock there, who maybe is more of a sort of wants to stay wide as well or wants to come out wide and you've, and you've got Isak there. The one thing I thought actually more so than, than, than the selection in the game was I thought Howe's substitutions against Arsenal were a bit peculiar. Mm. I thought bringing on Almiron for... Jacob Murphy didn't really change anything and wasn't likely to change anything. Almiron is still coming back to full fitness after his injury and he hasn't really shown en- enough yet to, and he came on to do that much. And then also when he had switched to a 4-2-3-1 and had Isak as the number 10, suddenly Isak was getting more of the ball and the castle looked dangerous. Then he took off Wilson, brings on Gordon as a number 10, which I didn't think quite worked. And Sam Maximan came on, actually looked dangerous. Now, I'm sure Sam Maximan was partly to do with the fact he's been out injured and couldn't have played any longer and come on earlier. But I think that 
the balance with without Longstaff and with a, with a lack of midfielders, that is what's going to be interesting to see what he does do at Leeds and where he does think he can get that sort of balance back to his side. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to sort of jump in as well. I mean, you know, Newcastle lost the game, so of course it's very easy and tempting to say, well, that didn't work because uh, because Newcastle lost. They've shown that they can play together when one of them comes on as a substitute and they've done it very well and looked very effective, which is one of the reasons why, you know, playing them up, up front together from the start was so tempting and should be an option that Newcastle have and every you know every game is different i think the one thing that Newcastle did lose from that is having that raw energy of a wilson or an isak coming on yeah, an and absorb, yeah. immediately setting about giving centre half something different to think about in a way that didn't quite work as chris says with almiron or gordon against arsenal and you know, neither, neither Isak nor Wilson want to be the super sub. And it's been Wilson most of the time recently. And so, you know, both do deserve to start in that sense. But Newcastle lost something. I think their changes lost something in the process. So, um, you know, I think there's enough there to, 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 to certainly have that in the armory and to try it again at some point. It didn't look natural or it didn't look sort of comfortable yesterday. But I also, yeah, I, I agree with kind of Chris's wider point that, there was a bit of balance missing in the team. I think that's also partially to do with form. When you've got Bruno probably nursing an injury, not playing brilliantly, you know, it sort of affects the rest, the rest too. But I mean, the, the, the one positive again about that though is to see, you know, Wilson and Isak started together and still Newcastle had options on the bench, you know, particularly with, with St. Maximan back. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if he has a bigger role to play. Sean Longstaff, Chris, as well, offer a, a follow-up scan on that injury that he picked up at Everton. How much of a concern is that? It, it is It is a concern, given that Newcastle don't seem to to have worked out exactly how much of an issue it is, because he basically said that Longstaff had, had they thought he was all right, and then he, he felt pain in his foot again. I mean, any of Howe's public pronouncements about injuries have always got to be taken with a pinch of salt, and it would not surprise me at all if he was in the squad next weekend, but... If you take that at face value, what he said, that, that is a worry because it's obviously now in the final four matches of the season. If he has got a bit of pain in his foot, is it better to, to now, so that he's all right for next season, not rush him back if they're not entirely sure what it is? And given Joel Linton also seemed to go off with a bit of an injury, Newcastle suddenly have very few midfield options. They've only got Elliot Anderson as a, as a, as a midfielder who they could play there. Really, he's, at the minute, they're seeing more of a wide forward as well. So, that is where the depth is is being stretched, and if both Longstaff and Joe Linton are unavailable on Saturday at Leeds, then suddenly Newcastle are looking stretched in the middle of the park, and maybe it does need to be switched to a different system just to basically accommodate the players they've got. Never mind to actually, so it might it might be the players they've got dictate the way that Newcastle play rather than the other way around, as Eddie Howe would prefer it to be. Yeah, and Eddie Howe has been coy as well about Alan Maximan's return from injury, George, hasn't he? Uh, he was a bright spark off the bench, though, against Arsenal, wasn't he? It'd be interesting to see if he figures again against Leeds. Yeah, I'm sure he will. We know that when he's in that kind of form, he can have a real impact. Whether it comes too soon to 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 be in contention of starting, I'm not sure. But yeah, that's the St Maximan we want. Running at teams, uh, causing them problems, That's a, it's a proper uh, thing to have in your armoury. Uh, certainly coming off the bench so yeah i i um that was that was really good that was encouraging he it's a reminder that he is missed and that he can have a proper impact 
And Sam Allardyce, Chris, we've mentioned him at the top there, but back with a bang, making huge statements about his stature in the game. He's not bringing Real Madrid or Man City, though, is he? He's bringing a Leeds team that are quite low on confidence, uh, and it should be a bit of a tasty affair. I imagine this will be another robust game. It will be. I mean, it is a Leeds side, very low on confidence, and it's a very different situation to last time Newcastle faced them. But as I mentioned earlier on the podcast... Leeds did disrupt Newcastle when they came to St. James's just yeah, before did. the turn of the year. And that might give their players a bit bit more self-belief. And Sam Allardyce, I'm sure, will be looking back to that and seeing how they did manage to, to cause Newcastle a few issues or at least upset their rhythm a little bit. But really it's it's I mean it's gonna it will be a ferocious atmosphere. Newcastle remember remember last season when Newcastle won at Leeds, that ignited their survival bid, really, that huge Victory, John Joe Shelby scoring the free kick during the second half. Absolute worm murderer, that free it. kick, wasn't it? An absolute <laughs> it worm was, murderer. It was indeed. And uh, and that, that gave Newcastle huge self-belief, so Eddie Howe can, can, can look back at that as well. But I think it's, to a certain degree, similar to what Arsenal had to do to Newcastle on Sunday. I think yeah. the first 10-15 minutes, Newcastle might have to, to weather a bit of a storm and then mm. build into the game, similar to how they did at Everton as well a few weeks ago. It's never an easy place to go, is it, George? No, no, it's it's one of the it's just one of the great ferocious arenas, isn't it? It really is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's it's a bit sort of sad to see what's what's happened to Leeds. I mean, I went down during lockdown um, when when Bielsa was there to do a game, and they they absolutely played Spurs off the park, and it was it was. It was brilliant to see. It was that sort of version of Leeds. I mean, in in the same way that Newcastle have become a, ver- a you know a version of Newcastle that was sort of locked away and hidden. Bielsa sort of did that with 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 Leeds, and it's kind of a bit of a shame to sort of see them all over the place and flailing. But you, I mean, you would imagine it will be an absolutely brilliant atmosphere, and you would expect, yeah, as Chris says, you'd expect Newcastle to to sort of play the Arsenal role in that game and, um, yeah. you know, uh, make it as difficult as possible for them. But, yeah, one to really relish, though. Proper, proper atmosphere. Absolutely right. Then just before we finish off, we've got to say congratulations to Jacob Murphy for his uh, BBC Match of the Day Goal of the Month for April. A two-yard screamer against Everton. Chris, do you want to do you want to describe Jacobs Murphy's goal in a flowery terms with music going over the top or he touched the ball and it went into the net. Wow. It's like being there, isn't it, George? It's beautiful. I mean, it was I like to think of myself as a bit of a sort of poet, you know, a frustrated poet when it comes to to writing and talking about football, but that was just good. Chris was in a different league, different league. There's going to be a moment at the training ground when Jacob Murphy goes over at Alexander Isaac and just kind of Hands him the award if there is a physical award. I don't know if there is. Just this is this is yours. <laughs> I had I had match day two on this morning. And Alice turned to me and she said, "Why has it come up with Jacob Murphy? Is in is in? Why is he being nominated for this? They're saying it's actual goal. It's a goal scorer who gets nominated for this. It's just like, oh right, okay, right. Well, but he didn't do most of it." <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to Jacob Murphy, his goal against Tottenham could easily have been nominated as well. That was an absolute belter, wasn't it? So, yeah, he could have had one for that. Uh, right then, chaps, that's it, I think. Get yourselves over to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just £1.99 a month for your first year. Thank you very much, chaps. It's been a pleasure again. Newcastle are still going, just about, nearly there. The season is coming to a close, Chris. Are we going to make it? Yes. Good. Thanks for that, George. Sorry, what, what was the question? I'd, I'd, Are we going to make I'd, it? I switched off. Are we going to make what? Champions League, George. Um, you know, yeah, whole, I think so. The, yeah. whole, the yeah. whole point of all of this. Sorry, I just, I just switched <laughs> off. I, 
you were doing your outro. I'd, I'd already, I'd already switched off. As soon off, as I started as a monologue, that's it. George is gone. Yeah, no, I was, I'd, I was moving on. To, his eyes. I was, was I was moving on to what's next in my day, which was just yeah, sitting in a dark room. Are uh, we going to make the top? Fair play. Yeah, I think we are. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, yeah, I do, I do. I'm not, um, I'm not concerned, not concerned at all. Good stuff. That's what I like to hear. Right then, thanks, chaps. Thanks for your time. It's been fun. Uh, thanks to all you lot listening out there as well. We'll be back next week from everybody at Pod on the Time. Take care. Have a good week. See you later. Athletic.